Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Spill the OT podcast. Today, we are talking to a certified hand therapist, and I am so excited. I have wanted to talk to a CHT for a long time, pretty much since I started this podcast, and I found the perfect person to talk to. Right now, she works in outpatient hands, and she's been an OT for 22 years and a CHT for 14 years, so she has tons of experience, and she really just put my mind at ease and made it sound like becoming a hand therapist is really reasonable and doable compared to what I previously thought about it. So if you are interested in hands, this is the person that you want to listen to. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. I also want to take a quick second before we get into it. And thank you for everybody who has rated and reviewed this podcast. Your ratings mean so much to me. It just really makes me feel good. And it makes me feel like my time is well spent. And it honestly just means a lot to me. So thank you so much for doing that. And without further ado, let's get our OT on the line. So I graduated OT school in 1998, which at the time it was a bachelor's program. And I had no intention of getting into hand therapy really at all. I took my first job in a hospital on a skilled nursing floor. We didn't really have the skilled nursing unit transitioning to the nursing homes quite yet. And the work was hard. The work was unpredictable. I don't do well with time management per se. So when I'm given a list of patients to see for the day and no schedule to see them and then, you know, nobody wants to get out of bed because they're not feeling well or they have a pain medicine and you're spinning your wheels for a good part of the day trying to get people to participate. It was hard to manage my time, especially because being in a hospital setting, we could have 10 admissions a day onto our floor. And then um, there was a healthcare act signed during the Clinton administration that reallocated the way that some of the uh, money would be distributed for inpatient therapy and 90% of OTs lost their job. So we were all rehired eventually. I think some of those cuts probably needed to happen. I had friends that worked in nursing homes that would have five OTs on staff and they probably really only needed two or three. But my husband and I are both OTs. We graduated together. We were both unemployed for a good six months to a year. And I had a little bit of time to reevaluate what I wanted to do. So I worked in um, nursing home settings, picking up work here and there. But one of my level two clinicals was outpatient hands. And I enjoyed it a lot, but I just didn't think that they were ever going to need another staff member. I really didn't give it any more thought. And then that supervisor called me and asked me if I wanted to kind of expand their program into another clinic. So I started doing outpatient OT at a clinic by myself, which I really do not recommend, but I I did a lot of learning and self-research to learn the things I needed to learn. But my career really took a turn when I got a good mentor. So I can't stress it enough how much that changes everything when you have someone that you can talk to, I mean, preferably in the clinic with you, but not necessarily, that can walk you through the thinking process, the problem-solving process of certain conditions. And that, that doesn't, to me, that doesn't even necessarily always apply to hands. I mean, that could be a neuropatient as well, just someone who's seasoned who can put another set of eyes on your caseload and help you out. That's kind of what happened to me. I got a really good mentor who was really fast at splinting and really innovative with splinting. And we just put our hands on splints 
every day. And that was where my knowledge base really started to expand. At that same time, we also got a brand new hand surgeon in my area and he was young and outgoing and willing to let me ask stupid questions as well. So I was very lucky to have those two people in my life. So I sat for my certified hand therapist exam in 2006. I had been an OT for eight years. So did you find your mentor through the same company because you said you were in a separate satellite by yourself for a little while, or did she end up coming to that same satellite? I ended up going to her clinic just through staffing needs. And then when I started a family, my satellite clinic was far away. And as the company valued me more and more, I kind of just put my foot down and said, I don't want to work out there anymore. Um, and, and that's not, everybody is so lucky to have that. And then she retired. So I took over her clinic. That's very serendipitous. <laughs> That's awesome. So how many hours does it take to actually sit for your CHT? Hey guys, we weren't totally sure during the interview, so I'm just going to interject here. I just looked it up on the HTCC website and it takes 4,000 hours and three years of being a therapist. And those 4,000 hours have to be specifically in upper extremity. Well, back when I took the exam, you had to have been an OT for five years. Okay. They just changed that. You only have to be out of school for three years now. I remember thinking that when I, when I reached my five-year mark, it coincided with the hours very nicely. I had plenty, you know what I mean? Um, but I have a coworker who sat for her exam when she was about three and a half years out of school, and she already had enough hours. If you're working 32 to 40 hours a week, you'll get there in, like, I'm sure three years tops. Okay. I know I had a friend who was thinking about doing it, but she had a hard time even getting her foot in the door because they only wanted to accept people who already had their CHT. Do you see that at all in your region? I am the voice of the opposite of that because we don't have a whole lot of CHTs around here. I take the approach that I will work with anyone if they are passionate about their job. I tell my level two students that I don't need them to study up on very much before they start with me. I mean, they need to review their range of motion, but they certainly do not need to go looking up a bunch of protocols. That is ludicrous to me. And I really feel kind of the same way about an OT who doesn't have hand experience. Just come to me with an open mind and a good work ethic and you learn so much on a case-by-case -case basis. So you get a patient, you care about them, you see them recover from an injury, and guess what? You'll never forget that diagnosis. Now, of course, not everybody's going to be a cookie cutter in, within that same diagnosis, but you learn so much through that. And there is no way to get good at splinting but by practicing splinting. There's no other secret. And so again, I'm not going to get angry at a therapist because they can't make a splint. I just really try to make sure that I'm there in the clinic while they're making it, or, you know, I do treat the patient. It depends on how the person feels, but I just, we just, just, just hired a new grad one year out of school. My boss was hesitant to take him on and he had done a level two at a really good hand clinic nearby. And I said, 
I like him and I, I, I can see it in his eyes that he's going to be great. And he has been nothing but amazing. And in fact, he asked me questions about protocols and things. And I have to say, I don't know, hang on. I got to look that up. You know, I don't remember. And he's even learned, he has some innovative things that he's introducing into my clinic. You know, I call myself the old lady, like, you know, back in my day, that's not how we did that. And so he's bringing in fresh ideas and it's so far, it's been wonderful. I remember the hand surgeon that I work with a lot saying to me, can you follow directions written on a piece of paper? Can you follow what I ask you to do on my prescription? Because you would be shocked at how even a seasoned therapist can look at something. Okay. He says, don't start strengthening. I'm going to go ahead and start strengthening. I, I see it all the time. I just don't think it has to be as daunting as people make it. However, how do we convince seasoned therapists to give new grads or inexperienced hand therapists a try? I'm not really sure. I, I think a lot of hiring happens through the level two field work experience when the people's personalities really click. But other than that, I don't know how to um, make that happen more often. Well, I love your philosophy and I feel like your philosophy is a lot more in line with what occupational therapy is about. It's just like giving people opportunities. Right. And caring about your patients. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that there's people like you out in the field and it sounds like anyone that crosses your path is really lucky. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. We all have our moments, but I, I just feel like on the flip side of having the good attitude, I've seen people who were really, really smart and no work ethic. Absolutely. You know, inability to let me know when they're available. You know, we hire people PRN. I think, I think a lot of new grads are taking PRN positions because the pay rate is higher and sometimes they're still young enough to be on their parents' insurance. But I had a coworker quit with two days notice back in wow. November. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a lot of money driven because the student loans are so high. So I think people need to, if they're serious, you know, they need to come into the situation with a good work ethic. It's, it's something that I don't know, it's not ingrained in everybody. Yeah, that's a whole topic for another day. Sure. But I really appreciate you saying that it's not so daunting because I think that's what discourages a lot of people from even pursuing it is they see those hours, they see the amount of years, especially as a new grad, you know, three years seems so long, but in reality, it goes by so fast. So well, and if you were in a job position that you enjoy, then why does the three years even matter if you're potentially planning on staying there forever? Yes. The exam is just part of the process. That's the way I looked at it. I mean, I was almost disappointed when the years went so quickly and, and my coworkers started saying, Hey, aren't you eligible to sit now? And I thought, Oh, oh, give me another year. But yeah, if you're enjoying your, your work situation, then that shouldn't even really be an issue. Now, the HTCC, the Hand Therapy Certification Commission that owns the CHT label, is really starting to hone in on the mentorship process, and they're offering formal mentorship hours. So I think that that's going to help maybe some of these therapists be more willing to take on a mentorship role. My company has a lead OT. I'm, I work for Select Physical Therapy and we're huge. And we have an individual <clears throat> who is in charge of our whole OT program, our marketing, our ideas. And she um, took that mentorship program from HTCC and 
turned it into a program that we now do. And it's, it's sometimes it's, it's daunting for me because there's a lot of like paperwork involved, but it's just like logging your hours and, but it's actually a way to go through with your mentee structured subject so that you kind of know that you are covering all the bases that the exam would require. That's a great thing that they're offering. And it sounds like it could be win-win for both parties. Right. So I'm curious about your caseload at your facility and what does an average day look like for you? If we were to be fully booked for an eight hour day, we would have two follow-ups per hour or an evaluation in that hour. So if my day is all follow-ups and I was full, it would be 14 people. And that's very manageable. If you have a lot of evaluations, if you're good with your paperwork time, that's manageable too. I think the only time it becomes out of hand is when you have maybe three new patients in a day or maybe like a walk-in or two, because I do have an open door policy for like splint walk-ins, post-op splinting. You get a couple of those thrown in and maybe you find out three or four of your follow-ups were a re-evaluation then at the end of the day, you're going to have a bit of paperwork to do. I'm totally in love with being on laptops and being able to take mine home because I can have some quiet time and knock it out. And we have a little bit of leeway like till the end of the next day to get it done. I very rarely feel like my caseload is out of control. That's good. Your paperwork, you do most of it towards the end of the day or you bring it home? I try to get it done as each patient is there because we have a very good program we use and it's very easy to plug in your data for the day and sign the notes. I try to do it as I go along, but as you can see, I'm a big talker. So if I make that choice to talk instead, then yes, I do it all at the end of the day. Okay. So are your clients seen back to back? Do you have any time in between them or is it at 9.30 and then 10 and then 10.30? I do on the hour. So like two at eight and two at nine and two at 10, that type of thing. I used to do half hour patient, which comes out about the same, maybe one less patient a day, but all, none of my coworkers do that. So it was easier for my front desk to schedule me the way they schedule them. But I remember being really intimidated by two patients walking in at the same time. What am I going to do? But it's fine. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Could you give an example of maybe one type of client that might come in your door with a certain diagnosis and then how you might treat that client? Just pick, just pick something commonly. Yeah. They sound common to you, but I don't know anything about hands. So it'll be complex to me. Okay. So we see a ton of distal radius fractures and they are awesome. They are, they're 90% of the time plated. They have an ORIF and they are wonderful to treat. They vary so much in severity of how the person is doing, but they always get better. And they usually let them start moving fairly soon. I mean, sometimes even week one, but even then we're always watching swelling and finger movement and those type of things. We're seeing so few pain syndromes now because the surgeons are able to manage things so quickly and with so much less tissue trauma that I'm not seeing a lot of those scary RSD type things. But even when I do, I'm a big believer in that if I can make that patient feel comfortable, it's not going to be such an issue. We also see a ton of um, CMC arthroplasties, joint replacement of the base of the thumb. 
those are going to start moving the fingers immediately and the wrist at four weeks post-op and the thumb at six weeks post-op and strengthening six to eight weeks. Again, something I really love treating. They always get better. I don't see a lot of multiple trauma or really horrific crush injuries. We don't have a lot of industry around here, so I don't see a lot of the horrific burns or crushes. I see the occasional amputation, but mostly it is fractures of that distal radius or parts of the hand, metacarpal, CMC arthroplasty. So what you're going to see in my clinic with all those people is you're going to see a lot of, um, I, I, I believe, heavily in heat modalities. We do a lot of fluidotherapy and paraffin to warm people up when they come in. Um, you're going to see a lot of manual therapy in my clinic. Um, that is a struggle for me right now with talk of telehealth. It's just not going to be that many people that I'm going to that are going to be interested in doing that with me. If, if we actually had to do it, it would be better than nothing. But I do a lot of manual therapy on my patients, you know, 20 to 30 minutes on everybody with a lot of soft tissue work, a lot of lymphedema drainage, tons of scar mobilization, um, lots of joint mobilization, which I just took my COMT test last year, which is certified orthopedic manual therapy, and learned a lot about joint mobilization, which I'm embarrassed to say I was a non-existent at up until that point. I mean, I was doing them, but I couldn't really document the grade of mobilization or any of that. I'm much more confident in that, but I do a lot of joint mobilization and a lot of stretching and a lot of passive range of motion. You're going to see that with pretty much everybody. That's perfect. Thank you for sharing that. What would you say is the hardest part of your job? I would say the challenging times are when I do get very busy and something happens with staffing at another clinic and I lose my second person. And of course, then things always seem to get double busy where you end up with walk-ins or really complicated people, someone that hurt both of their elbows and wrists and things like that, you know, you just don't have the time to, to get them in where you want to fit them. But I am learning to not freak out about these things. You can, you're only human. You can only do what you can do. You have to be flexible. And, but that sometimes that's a challenge. And, and then occasionally you do get the, the patient that is um, maybe motivated by work problems or litigation problems and their motivation to get better is not where you want it to be. But again, that with me coming from a company that is so large, we have got trainings in place for that as well. So we are really highly trained in work strategies and getting injured workers back to work and helping them find their place, you know, after something terrible happened at their job. So, but that's probably my greatest challenges is just heavy schedule at times and sometimes, you know, just a, a patient that their motivation isn't where you want it to be. I used to work in inpatient rehab and I worked in a SNF and I always found that physically it was so involved that I couldn't really see myself doing it in the future, like long-term 
it was just very draining for me and I would do my best, but I always knew in the back of my mind, you know, if I'm pregnant or if I'm towards the end of my career, I don't think this is something I can consistently do. How do you feel transitioning to hands? Do you feel the same way at all? Or is that lightened since you're primarily working on just the upper extremity? I, oh, I absolutely cannot believe how much easier my job is physically. Right before I went full-time here, I was picking up hours at a nursing home and in hospital inpatient, and my feet hurt so bad. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a really fast per, I'm a fast walker and I'm a, and I'm fast with getting from room to room, but there was so much walking above my feet really killed me. And then of course, being a woman transfers are always scary. I, and you know what? I tell that to new grads. Don't you ever let a facility brainwash you into thinking that you have to do a Maxis transfer by yourself. I'm sorry. I know we got trained in it in school. I understand how it's done, but let's get real. When you are a 120 pound female, there is nothing wrong with having another person in the room. Mm -hmm. And um, that was not available to me. And I think, oh my gosh, I'm just so glad I never had to put anybody on the floor. <laughs> but that is that I can't see myself doing transfers like that. Even I'm 43 years old now, and I, I, that would be a challenge for me. I did work with an OT years ago who did not retire until she was 83, and she was great. However, it, we absolutely did not give her heavy transfers. She was our standby assist person. And where that does sound um, unfair, we were so happy to have her spirit on our team. And she could look a person in the face who was 70 and complaining that they couldn't do it because they were old and say no. So I, if I ever did go back into inpatient for any reason, I think I would be a, you know, a little bit more of a prima donna about my body. I'm glad that you said that because I think we are kind of trained to push through and I remember working with one of my colleagues and she was about four, nine, maybe five foot on a tall day and <laughs> less than a hundred pounds. And it just seemed unfeasible that she would be expected to transfer a 300 pound man who's a max assist. And, right. you know, that was the expectation, but it's not something that is safe for certain clinicians to be put in that situation. Hey everybody, I am so genuinely excited to tell you about MedBridge. So MedBridge is a continuing ed site and they have tons of continuing ed courses all available online. You can stream them at your own pace. They also have home exercise plans, which are incredible. You can literally build your own plan with pictures that can perfectly suit whatever client you're working for. It's honestly so awesome. And you get unlimited CEUs. And these CEU courses are just really intriguing and exciting. Like it's, I've done continuing ed online in the past and these ones that they select are just very much in line with what I find interesting. And I feel like you might find them interesting as well. So are you struggling with finding the resources for your time for CEUs with almost 2000 accredited evidence-based streaming courses, live CEU webinars, MedBridge is your all-in-one solution. And actually, if you use my code, it's SPILLTHEOT, capital S, 
capital T, capital OT, so spill the OT, one word, capital S, capital T, capital OT, you can get $175 off of your year-long subscription, which is awesome. I mean, that's like significant amount of money off. So if you are interested, please go check it out. Again, use the code spill the OT, capital S, capital T, capital OT, all one word. All right. I really hope that you go check it out. Enjoy. Well, so my husband is six foot four and works in inpatient rehab and it's very easy for him to hurt his back because the normal transfer mechanics don't work for him. He's too high. Yeah. So it can be on both. It certainly can. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's why I ended up working in schools was I figured schools, kids are smaller and in general, you're just not doing the medical side of things in schools. So that's why I pursued that for the long term. It sounds like hands is a similar position that if somebody's worried about their physical health, this would be a good place for them to practice. Yes. I mean, my PTs tease me because, you know, they call us like the nail salon table and the coffee drinking table. But then, of course, I tease them and say, okay, well, you're over there standing there doing, typing your little notes while your person's doing their squats all by themselves because we're so much more face-to-face, one-on-one. And not everybody likes to do that, um, to, to, be, to have that person staring at them for the whole hour. They want to, if you're that type of clinician that wants to, you know, to be in your own little world, for parts of the treatment, that's not, hand therapy is not for you. We are, they're watching our every move, you know, and, and that's fine. They're at the table, but yes, for the body mechanics and all that, I, I, I can't believe how lucky I am. I really can't. That's a very good point about the PTs. I like that. What would you say is your favorite part about being a hand therapist? Meeting people. I love people and I can find out i'm not kidding in any given week i can find out who to call to get my sink fixed who's a good mechanic for my car what's going on with the school system you name it i have a patient on my caseload at any given time that knows something about everything and it is awesome i the conversations we have are so good and i just treasure meeting people and and it Pensacola Florida is a relatively small town so um it's not uncommon for me to see them down the road or find out that we already know all the same people and I so I just treasure people I mean of course you get the occasional person that you you you're okay with not seeing them again but on for the most part it's just like I feel like they're family by the time they're done I love that what advice would you have for a new grad or somebody who's been in the field for a while who wants to transition to hands? What do you think would be a good first step for them to take? If they're not having any luck just applying at the places where they live, I met a couple of people actually through the hand therapy treatment ideas group there on Facebook, or there's also one OT treatment ideas. And I met a couple of people asking the same questions that you were asking. And I told them the same thing. Like, I, I'm not afraid to hire someone that doesn't have any experience. And a couple of those people reached out to me privately. And I just, I, I think social media is pretty powerful. And so if they're not having that luck with just local networking, just reaching out and, and, and seeing what's out there, if they're willing to live somewhere else or just 
you know, tapping other people's brains. And then I guess also what I would do if I wanted to get into hands was make sure that my continuing education hours were in hand therapy. Because we do look at that when I'm looking at a resume with my boss and we're trying to, you know, see if someone's going to be a good fit. If the first thing I'm looking for is that field work. If they did a level two, then I'm like, okay, they're going to be pretty sharp. But if they don't like, have they taken some courses, you know, to, to kind of get, get their feet wet in Florida, if you want to use modalities, you have to take a modalities course, but we don't require that before we hire people, especially now that really people aren't using as much dare I say, we're not using iontophoresis really at all and not as much ultrasound. Although, I, I mean, this may go out to OTs who are horrified that I say that. So, um, you know, just look at the continuing ed that would be more suited towards hands if you were really serious about trying to get something on your resume. But other than that, you know, I'm just looking for somebody with a smile on their face and a willingness to learn and, and not being afraid to touch people. If you don't like touching people, don't do it. I know because it's very intimate. If you're looking someone in the face, you're sitting with them. And like you said, it's not the type of therapy where you can set them up and leave for a few minutes. Or I've seen people do it the other way and it's just not my style. And, you, and what you see in that is poor arrival rate. Mm. I, I've seen it with my own two eyes. I had a, an ex coworker that wasn't putting her hands on people and her arrival rate was no lie, probably 60%. And then she started getting more confident in her manual skills and she shot up to 95. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So my last question, I like to ask everybody, if you could do it again, would you send yourself to OT school? Ooh, yes, because we were the bachelor's program and it was quick and no student loans. I, I, I have two kids now, you know, and I, I can, I, I can't confidently say to them, go get this doctorate and then not make six figures. My goodness. But then again, that's just the world right now. Everything takes a lot more schooling. So I would do it hands down again. Definitely. Well, awesome. I think you bring up a good point. Um, oh, I forgot to ask. So part of this podcast, I like to give an idea of what someone could expect to work in that certain field. Like if you're working in hands versus a school, like what salary would be expected? Of course, I don't ever know what my coworkers make because I never ask, but, um, or we could do it like as a new grad, like what a new grad might be. I, I, you know, I don't even know, but I can give it to you relatively for other settings in the area. I know that we make less than nursing home. Okay. I think everybody does, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, more than school system. But my company is very good about giving raises for when you get your certification. So I remember getting like a 10% pay raise when I got my CHT, which I didn't even know I was going to get. I, I wasn't even, I didn't even want my boss to know I was taking the exam because I was afraid I was going to fail. And she called me right in and said, well, I have to, you need to get your raise now. I went, okay. So, you know, anywhere, I guess, new grads to, to, to seasoned grads. I mean, you're, I, I don't even know what we hire a new grad at. Maybe, maybe a salary of like 55,000 bottom. I, um, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, and then, and then, you know, in the eighties tops. Awesome. It's good to know that there's incentive if you have your CHT. So that's a motivating thing for certain people to look forward yeah. to. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. All right, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I was thinking maybe what I should start doing is at the end of each episode, kind of scroll on otsalary.com and just give you a couple facts and figures that I found on there. So all the information on that website, it's all voluntary. It's real therapists who just plug in their information. And it's so detailed that I only did a couple because to skim through it all, it's so it says what region you're in, it says your years of experience, what type of degree that you have, how many hours you're working, are you salaried or are you hourly, and it also lists productivity. So it has a ton of data on there. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of the information I found. So the lowest paying job that I saw for a certified hand therapist was $25.5 an hour. That was in Louisiana. And that was for a new grad position. And that rate was dependent on them actually getting their CHT. So I think once they get their CHT, that rate is going to go up and they're going to review it and go up. So I think that's why it's so low. There was another position in Florida. One was $44 an hour. They didn't list productivity. One was $45 an hour as a contract therapist with 25 years of experience. New York had one at $45.86 an hour. That was with 90% productivity. Washington had a few listed pretty much at the $38.50 range, and the productivity ranged from 90 to 85%. I did see a new grad position in Nevada, right in Las Vegas, that was $32 an hour. And then South Carolina, they had one at $40 an hour for 85% productivity. And California, they had one listed at $57.69 an hour. So I think depending on what state you live in, you'll see a wide range depending if you're rural or near a city. And I also think the rates are lower for new grads, but the more experience you have, the higher the rates are. And pretty much most of the people, even with many years of experience, were in the 40 to high 50s. I think I only saw one position which dipped into the 60s, and that was in D.C. And again, these are all their hourly rates. Okay, so I hope that that's helpful. I think I'll start to do that on all our episodes. That way you have an idea of what's going on across the country. So if you would like to come on this podcast, please email me at spilltheot at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram, spill underscore the underscore OT. Check out my new YouTube channel, Spill the OT. And as always, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Have a great day and I'll see you next week.